Hi, and welcome to Dietless Living 360 Degrees, Overcoming Weight Loss Obstacles with me, your host, Katie Gordon. As a weight loss coach, I help my clients to overcome their weight loss obstacles in six simple steps so they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. And the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child is really applying to our weight loss and health goals because not all the obstacles that we have are just simply in our day-to-day healthy habits. Some of the obstacles that we have reach out into other areas of our life as we often have challenges with relationships, work, finances, home, and our like our home environment. We also have sometimes injuries and other more complex health issues that are impacting on our weight and health. And whilst how to overcome weight loss obstacles in six simple steps actually helps you to create happy, healthy habits and maintain them through those challenging times, we also need other professionals to help us actually resolve those obstacles. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in other health professionals to help you overcome your obstacles. And today we have Julie Cliff. Now, Julie is a declutter coach at Space and Time, and she helps women who are just simply pulling their hair out because there's stuff all over the house and their to-do list is overwhelming. Through her coaching, Julie shows women how to implement easy decluttering and organizing systems in the home. And today she will share some of those tips with us. So welcome to the show, Julie. It's so great having you with us today. Would you like to just take a couple of minutes and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and the main way that you help your clients? Yeah, thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me. Uh, So my business, Space and Time, as you suggest, helps people declutter and get organised at home. Um, Sometimes people that have too much stuff and too much clutter in their home are a little bit misunderstood. They might be seen to be lazy, whereas in actual fact, it may be the other opposite end of the spectrum that they're trying to cram in too much in their day or have a lot of those things that you just mentioned before, illness, injury, and those sorts of things, and the clutter just builds up. So, uh, And that happens over time. And then I can come in and help them in their home or through my online programs, and we can start to tackle that clutter and start to tackle that backlog uh, and help them set up new priorities and start to move towards them. You know, you hit on a really key point there. That's exactly a lot of people miss. So when somebody has a lot of clutter in their home, they're either labelled as possibly a hoarder, even though there's a, a complete definition of that that doesn't apply to everybody. And, you know, I know somebody who was like the most tidy, fastidious person, Mm -hmm. and then something happened in their life. I think they had uh, challenges at work or something, and it was ongoing chronic uh, stress, and they went from being that super fastidious person to being more closely related to um, in the hoarder zone Mm -hmm. because of that what you said the stress and the build-up it just it became too much and then they couldn't actually get on top of it 
Yeah, they just can't make any decisions because their brain is too full of all that stress and that overwhelm with all the other things that they're dealing with. It's just as easy to, oh, I'm just going to stuff this over there for now or I'm going to collect more and more things around me to help me feel secure and safe with all these things around. But as you say, hoarding is very different. I don't work with people with hoarding tendencies. I have some very um, qualified friends that I pass those sorts of people on, but yeah, clutter comes in many forms and yes. certainly stress and overwhelm is one of them. Yes, and I think that's actually where you and I are very similar. Whilst we do very different things for our clients, the catalyst is often the same or the thing that stops them from getting on top of it is exactly the same problem. It's the brain is overwhelmed and stressed, can't get in, can't make a choice about where to start with either decluttering or mm. losing weight. And then even if they do, they go, oh, it's just I'm still not, I don't have the system, I don't know mm. what to do. Mm. So mm. I really do love what you do because, in what I also do, I that I know they need to get their house in order, but it's not what I do. So mm. I really want to know more about how you help people. And we're going to get into that a little bit, I think, through the rest of the conversation that we're going to have. Mm. Um, because I think from the stories that you've told me that how you got into this is a part of your personal story as well. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, you have a good memory, Katie. Um, yeah, so I worked for many years as an executive assistant and office administrator. So helping everybody in the office stay organised, be organised, you know, here's your checklist, here's the things that can help you with that. Uh, 15 of those years were at Melbourne Storm Rugby League Club, so it was very cyclical. So we could use this checklist this year and this one again the next year. But then when my son was born, he's 16 now, but um, he didn't come with the checklist. So, you know, motherhood and everybody out there that's a mum can agree with that, that they don't sleep when they're supposed to and they might be a fussy eater or have reflex. So, uh, a reflux sorry so the idea of being in such control when I was in the office environment and then feeling so out of control at home that's how it came about my business starting to put some of those systems and processes in at home to be able to control what we can make sure everyone's got clean undies and there's enough you know nappies all of the things that we needed when the baby was small or Robbie was small uh, and then be able to adapt that and um, change those systems over the years as he grew. And I sort of realised that other people were having difficulties, of course, in the home, keeping up with everything as well. So that's exactly how the business came about, that I was struggling and needed to put some systems in place and realise other people were having those ch challenges as well. Exactly, right, because that's, um, I love it, I call it mapping across. Mm. You took skills that you have in one area and you mapped them across to another area because everything is contextual, right, We and we can actually do that with all of our skills. People have all the resources they need, they're just not thinking outside of the box quite enough to go, I'm already doing what I need here how can I move those skills across to here to achieve the same thing? Mm. Yeah, mapping, I like it, mapping across. It's very yes. true. 
Um, so tell me, Julie, as you know, some of the questions I like to ask my clients because it is about overcoming obstacles. Life mm. is so full of obstacles. Can you uh, share with us, tell us a time uh, where you've had to overcome a great hardship, a great obstacle, and how that affected you and, and what were the strategies that you used to build your resilience, to build your your coping strategies to get through that obstacle? So, yeah, thank you for asking me that question, Katie. It was um, really got me thinking when you asked because, as you suggest, there are so many ups and downs um, of life. That's, that's what life is. But the one that really did come to mind is that um, we lost a son in between our two boys. I was at 18 weeks and uh, my waters broke, which is obviously too early to have a baby. Uh, and so that was a very, very sad time for us because um, you hear of miscarriage often. Never think that it's going to happen for yourself, um, but then, um, then it did. So we needed to be able to move through that. Uh, and some of the things that I did to um, sort of work through that was give myself time to, to grieve for the loss of our little son um, at 18 weeks. You know, he fitted in my hand. It was because uh, um, I went through childbirth and, and all of those things. So, uh, but it was a very special time in, in the end as well. But after that time, uh, just remembering him and how lucky we were to have him in our lives. I was journaling a lot. I was giving myself the time to be able to, to grieve. I remember just crying and crying every day. But over time, it did subside, um, those feelings of emotion. Um, and I do remember specifically one day, quite some weeks afterwards, I got to 9.30 in the morning. I've gone, oh, wow, I haven't even thought about him once. So, again, it did take time. Yes. But with any big challenge like that um, or any other challenge, you know, we need to give ourselves the time to be able to work through uh, our feelings and our emotions. We did go to a, um, a grief group for stillborn and, and antenatal and people that had um, passed away and had even full-term um, babies pass away. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, and I was, as I said, journaling and that sort of thing, but then it got to a point where I've gone, okay, I'm ready to sort of be able to move on. So, and then could take some more steps forward, um, back into work and those sorts of things. But it was very important, I think, to be able to give myself the time to, to grieve um, how I needed to um, at the time and it's it is so important because you know in our wonderful western society mm. we often think that the best way to deal with our grief is just jump straight back into life and get on with it and for some people maybe that works I don't think it does in the long term because mm. you know it's all there unexpressed un, unrecognized not validated and what I really like, because you, you're not the first person uh, on the podcast who's shared that with us, that you've had that experience. And why I'm so grateful that you have shared that is because a lot of people, myself included, right, I've never had children. And so previously to having a, a a close friend and family member who lost a child, I didn't really understand you know when some I'd hear of you know people have a, a friend might miscarry or a family member you know a distant one or something and I did not really 
have any concept mm. of how that was, even though I'd been through grief of losing somebody uh, dear to me. I did not have a concept of what it was like to lose, uh, have a miscarriage. Mm. And it's so important to understand that it is no different to losing somebody who's um, 20, 30, mm. whatever age. Mm. There's absolutely no difference. And it it's its own special process of going through that grieving. So when you said you went and got the support, was that the hospital offered that to you or did you yes. go seek it? Yes, it was through the hospital um, and that's right, they, they invited us to, to go along and obviously there was other people, as I mentioned, that had, um, had lost babies along the way and as I mentioned, there was people that had gone full term and... and yep and the baby was still born. So it sort of helped me put it into perspective a bit as well. Like you're saying, it's still the same. We still lost a child, but it, um, I felt, um, um, not relieved, but I felt differently after seeing this poor family that had gone through months and months, had no idea that there was anything wrong with the baby yeah. uh, and then for it to be stillborn. But we had signs along the way. Um, I didn't think it, uh, the pregnancy was quite right. But, yes, we it was offered by the, the hospital. I'm very glad. We only went along to the one session, but it opened up some conversations for my husband and I to have. Yep. Um, and we just felt that we didn't really need to go back to that particular group, although it was very helpful at the time. Yep. Um, but, yeah, that was a great resource to be offered. And, you know, gr the grieving process goes forever, really. Mm. You know, we we just have to integrate it into our time. And mm. I just, I find grief one of the most fascinating subjects, having been through it so many times myself in my life. I'm always interested in how everyone works with it for themselves. And it just sounds like you had really great support. And mm. I know that's not always the case for people. So, is there three bits of advice, or tips, I suppose, but it's not really like the right word for here, mm. but pieces of advice for people who are in that situation or maybe they have a friend that they mm. can reach out and help them? Mm. I think, um, you know, there's no right and wrong, obviously, so that's probably number one. If you're feeling like you need to do something in a particular way, you know, back yourself and, and go go along with that. So. Um, you know, really be kind to yourself and go with how you're feeling. So that's the first one, I would think. The second one would be to um, give yourself the amount of time, again, that you're feeling like you need to, um, to be able to move through the, the grief process. But then thirdly, you know, we do, as we suggested and alluded to, we do need to get back to the real world afterwards. Um, very weird and strange thing to say, but I remember after it all happened on that day, I came back to my hospital bed and there just happened to be a rugby league state of origin game on, which we love rugby league. And I thought, well, I was glad that I could watch that game and um, sort of um, take my mind off it. But I thought as well at the same time that life goes on. Yep. Um, so that was a, a stepping stone towards being able to take some action and, and move forward as well. So that would be my sort of three ideas for people to be able to be kind to themselves, give yourself the time that you need, but then you, you do need to move forward um, when the time's right. 
And I really love that you made that comment, like you pointed out that you came back to your hospital bed, mm. there was the footy and you went, oh, I can, I think I'll watch the footy. Mm. Because a lot of people put their life on hold or they feel guilty about, mm. you know, it's like survivor guilt. It's that I don't have any right to be happy mm. in this moment, given the circumstances of what's happened, or people will judge me. But the fact that you said, well, I came back and, oh, it was footy. It took my mind off it. I like the footy. That mm. is, I think, one of the greatest gifts in a comment that anyone's ever shared with mm. anyone for grieving. Like just allow yourself to enjoy it. You need relief mm. from it. You can't just be in it all the time. It's too stressful. Mm. And life does still offer mm. many, many moments of great things that we can enjoy so mm. it's really important to accept that it's okay to be happy while you grieve as well yeah thanks so I do like to also talk about or ask people what is the greatest risk that they've ever taken right because we have obstacles and hardships that mm. are given to us without our choice but then there are things that are really can have inherent in them a huge amount of obstacles or perhaps you know, a hardship, but we voluntarily, well, you know, we choose to take that risk um, for whatever reason. So is there a risk that you've taken and why did you take it? It's a great question again, Katie, because my husband and I are very risk averse. <laughs> We're very big planners. We're very big list makers. Um, you know, so risk is not usually in our vocabulary, but uh, the one thing that did come to mind again after I um, pushed through all those things that came up when I was starting to think about the question is the idea of leaving a secure job at Melbourne Storm after 15 years and deciding that I was going to pursue and put more time into the business space and time. Um, spoke to lots of people about it um, as a career counselling fellow um, that I'd run, run into, Andrew Pepper, and uh, had some great conversations with him about the idea and what that process is for making, you know, sort of decisions like that. Yeah. Uh, but I do remember the stress and the overwhelm that I don't think I've ever really felt anything like it from going from that safe, secure, you know, awesome place of work to going out completely on my own and deciding that, um, you know, I'm just going to do my thing and um, be you know, be, be a solopreneur. So uh, that was quite a tough time to make the decision. But as soon as I made the decision, you know, things moved in the right direction. But there was a few sleepless nights uh, up until that, um, that risk taking of um, resigning. What was the uh, period, the, like the time period of that? You know, was it weeks, months or just yes. days? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's probably more like a few, would have been a couple of months, I would think. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, got to a certain point with the business being part-time and part-time at Melbourne Storm and then, you know, as what happens when you've got a side hassle, you know, one of them's got to give. So it was a, a period of months, but like maybe two months, but it, it felt like a long time because I really felt like I was under a lot of stress and anxiety because I just wasn't sure which way I was going to go. I was flip-flopping for quite a long time. Yes, I'll say, no, I'll go. It was quite exhausting at the time. And I'm always an awesome sleeper. 
I put my head down the pillow and asleep as soon as that happens. But there was quite a lot of sleepless nights at that time. Because I, I often say it as well, you know, because you have to let go of this one thing mm-hmm. and in between this and that, you've got a, uh, a gap you have to bridge. And, and when it's letting go of one job to, to make another, it's like you've got two part-time incomes and when you have to let go of one to fully focus on that, the gap is the financial gap and they're very intense <laughs> to make decisions around. Indeed, yeah. So I love that you went out and you spoke to somebody in the careers counselling world. Yeah, yeah, he was very helpful. Just to even understand what that process sort of looks like. And I think from memory, because it was about seven years ago now that I was making that decision, six years since I actually resigned. But um, it was he sort of did a bit of an analogy like the grief cycle as well. So even just not, I can't remember them specifically at the moment, but there are steps to that decision-making process and and a little bit about what you were suggesting about, you know, having one foot here and one foot there, that's, that's a real thing. And so when I understood and heard that from him, that was comforting to, to be able to move through that process because I... Uh, like you often talk about in your your podcast with others and your system yourself that we don't know what those steps are and if we don't know what those steps are for dietless living or you know the the steps for decluttering and organizing that you don't know what the path is and so that you don't even know which direction you're heading Yes, you're standing there. It's like being lost in the bush. And in fact, one of the things that I really love is I read a lot about survival stories and survival personalities, survival behaviours, all that sort of stuff. And there's a great document I read about uh, lost behaviour, so people who are lost in the woods and the, the strategies they use. And all the strategies that somebody uses when they're lost in the woods is very similar to people that may be in decluttering, in dietless living, in weight loss, in in anything, which is, you know, we do these um, things. There's a couple of examples would be we do sampling. So we go off, we've got a base. We go off, we try that, we try that, but we keep coming back to our base, you know, and there's um, routing. So we, we go off and we basically see if we can find our way back to where we began. There's all these behaviours that we have. And I love that you went to somebody who actually helped you understand the steps forward. So you didn't have to go through all of that kind of lost behaviour over and over and waste time. Yeah, would have been walking around and around in circles, well and truly lost in the bush, causing more anguish and more yeah. stress and anxiety. Once you've got a clear clear path forward, it's much easier. And I love your idea of having that base. Yeah. What if your base is wrong? <laughs> That's interesting too. Exactly you coming right. back to that base is probably not serving you very well. <laughs> and it's exactly right because you stay lost because you mm-hmm. don't actually progress. You do, yeah. and you own most in lost person's behavior. They only go a certain distance because they they like to keep that base in view. Mm-hmm. So they only go, and that's why they never actually find their way out because they don't move from the base. Awesome, great analogy. So I actually, if you don't mind, I know we're not here to promote the counsellor guy, but actually, would you say his name again? Yeah, of course. His name is Andrew Pepper. 
and his business is The Reason and The Road. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah. if anyone's needing some career counselling, he sounds like the guy to go and see. Awesome. So, Julie, thank you for sharing the risk with us. And if, see, even somebody who's really risk-averse, right, you you did all the mapping and the planning and stuff, but it still mm. is a risk at the end of the day that you have to step across and do something that feels like it's, you know, it's not a, a certainty, a safe mm. it, There's You've done your risk mitigation, your risk analysis and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, we still have to take that step. So with that in mind, I, I like to ask as well, what hardship or great obstacle have you done that like a volun- voluntarily put yourself through? And often, you know, great hardship and the risk can seem the same, mm. but oftentimes they're very different things. So is there something that you've put yourself through voluntarily mm. and why did you do it? Yeah. Does childbirth count? <laughs> yes, it does, because that is a voluntarily. <laughs> it's, I'm like, worry. I was just being silly, but it just <laughs> came, that was one of the first things that came to mind, childbirth and those early years when you're not sleeping and all the rest of it. But no, the thing that I sort of came to that I thought I'd talk to you about, uh, again, um, really made me start to think about I'm not very good at doing something that I don't want to do. And the thing that came up was um, I was doing some call centre work for a while. This is a long time ago before um, before I went to Melbourne Storm. And I kept thinking in my head, it was outbound call centre for Vodafone. You know, you've got your little headset, you've got your list of numbers, you know, all the rest of it, nine to five, really long hours. But all I kept thinking of was what if I'm interrupting these people and they're going to think I'm a bad person and um, they're going to get mad at me or they're going to be grumpy. Um, But the main thing was, what if they don't like me? I mean, (laughs) it's just a funny thing that was going through my head. So every time I had to dial a number, and it's probably similar now, if I'm needing to follow somebody up making a phone call, I, I keep having these things in my mind like, what if they don't like me and what if it doesn't go well or what if I can't do what I'm supposed to do? So as I said, not very good at doing something that I don't want to do. Yeah. But the way that I get around that is just to really be able to sit in that and think, well, what's the worst that could happen out of that? What if they do get mad with you or what if it is a bad time that you're calling um, but as I'm saying, that that particular call centre job was one of the hardest jobs I've ever done in my life. And I've done some other hard yakka um, physically, like, say, renovating the house and those sorts of things. But again, had a clear path, knew what it was, and I was on board with the process, whereas yeah. uh, call centre work was, was not my thing and really didn't enjoy doing that particular task that I didn't really want to do. <laughs> Because you would have had to been um, having that conversation with yourself many times a day. It's oh, like yeah. you would have been turning up for work at, either at your desk or at the office and going, yeah. oh, yeah. I hate it. Yeah, and I can't remember how many calls we were supposed to make. It was a couple of hundred. So <laughs> that's replaying in your head a lot of times. Yep. Did, it, did it get any easier as you went along? It did. Still not nice and still not easy, but, yeah, it did. Um, You know, I just try and get that number dialed as quick as I could um, in between so that those little voices weren't being quite so loud and interrupting 
And was anybody, did you have rude people? No, not generally. I think I was very glad that it was outbound and we're following up that they just bought a new Vodafone phone. It was yep. literally a Vodafone phone. So it wasn't as though I was trying to sell them something. Yep. So I, that made me feel better as well. But, yeah, you're right. I don't recall anyone. They might have hung up on me, but they didn't get grumpy with me. That's a really good Didn't thing abuse to... you or, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because we all have that same thing in our head. It does always come back to, if you dig around enough in the conversation, mm-hmm. they won't like me. That's right. We're so needing to be liked because it's just such a human innate in humans to be liked because if we're not liked, we're ostracised. And if we're ostracised in caveman life, we're dead. That's right. Yep. So it's so funny. And I would have thought that perhaps over time or maybe you, I don't know, how long did you do that job for? It was only, it was on weekends and I think it might have been like only a couple of months. So, yeah. you know, I might have made a thousand calls or a couple of thousand calls in the end. I, I think you'd pr- get pretty good at it if you stuck at it for longer than that. I was going to say, I wondered if you would have just eventually became become desensitized to that and it just would have been you know the same as cleaning your teeth oh, i just got to pick up the phone and yeah. and have that conversation with somebody yeah i think you're right yeah i i do love that because cold calling from uh cold calling or following up from that point of view i don't know about you i'm quite an introvert so mm. i know in my mind my brain says oh, i'll just do this other task mm. first you know, rather than that. And then whereas I think perhaps maybe extroverts go, oh, I'll do the call first, I'll have the chat. So maybe there's mm-hmm. something in that. Are you consider yeah. yourself introvert or extrovert? Yeah, a bit, a bit, a bit of a mixture of both, but uh, introvert overall. But I do like to go out and socialise. But I did go to a, a Melbourne Storm event last night, actually, before our game. Yep. But that was for three hours, socialising, and I had the opportunity to continue on with them to go and watch the game with them. But yep. I opted to go and sit with my husband because so, I'd had enough. I'd had enough socialising and, um, you know, small talk and hanging out with people that I didn't yeah, know. Yeah. I went back and enjoyed the game with my husband. We like it in in certain doses. Ultimately, we will come back. Yeah, I think that's the best definition of introvert, extrovert. Extroverts, when they're tired, go out and gather the energy from, hey, mm-hmm. let's go, you know, chat and socialise. And an introvert says, oh, well, I like socialising, but I've had enough now. Yep. I'm going over here. That's me. Yep. <laughs> that's me too. <laughs> so, Julie, can you tell us what you do for fun? What does fun look like for Julie Cliff? Yeah, so um, it's Melbourne Storm. It's <laughs> the same answer. <laughs> so, yeah, we love to be involved with the Storm after so many years. Um, our oldest son, Robbie, is a ball kid, so I'm usually watching him up and down the sidelines, mentoring and tutoring the little little kids that are on the sidelines. It's always good fun to, to see. It's something that's familiar for me. It's something that's uh, we're, we're being social, but we can still be, yep. you know, in our own little introverted bu- bubble. So that's uh, fun for me. But we do get out and about with some of our friends here, although we're, we're slowly crawling out of our bubble after the last couple of years being locked down so much in Melbourne. It's taking us a little while to get get out and about, um, but uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, a few friends over or out out to a restaurant. But overall, we, we do enjoy getting to the Melbourne Storm home games and also watching the, the games uh, that are interstate on the telly. 
Nice. And what does relaxation look like for you? Uh, my relaxation is my exercise. I'm up at 5.40. Actually, the alarm's off on at 5.35 at the moment. Um, and just get straight up, uh, come out, get dressed, put, um, I'm into aerobics at the moment. I found some exercise to music, not quite as daggy as the 80s style, but it's movement to music. So I do that to warm up and then I'll go for a run three times a week, um, or go out for a walk, but I've really been enjoying that. So my exercise, um, is a big thing. Um, that's how, how I relax. And also I'm watching a bit of a, a rom-com at the moment on Netflix. It's called Jane the Virgin and it's just silly. It's over the top, but not too over the top. And it's just some time that I can um, sit down on the couch and, and, and enjoy that myself. Nobody else is interested in it. <laughs> um, in the household being the, all the boys, but um, that's just a bit of fun, light entertainment to keep your mind off of the you know everyday life. Just it's like the wonder I've, I like the term. It's chewing gum for the mind. Oh, yeah, absolutely! That's a great yep. one. Just it relax is. and watch, and just you know, do nothing. Chill out. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Right. It's important when you run your own business and you are it. You're deciding where you're going, who you're seeing, when you're seeing, and what calls you're making, what workshops you're running. You know, we've got busy brains. It's nice to turn them off occasionally. Well, you've got to turn them off a little bit. And to be honest, sometimes if what you're watching, I'm a believer in watching only things that make me feel good, which means I don't watch uh, really serious things or violent things or whatever anymore, used to, but don't anymore. Often through that, that relaxation of the mind, something jovial, like say a bit silly, I get good business ideas. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Your brain's busy doing something else. Yes. So tell me, Julie, what motivates you to stay in your business, like in the field that you're in? What is the great joy that you get from it that keeps you turning up day after day? Because as we know, solopreneur won't run your own business. There's, it's inherent with its own obstacles. But there's got to be that thing that, you know, keeps us turning up day after day. What is it for you? Yeah, I, I just enjoy helping people to be able to, have their home in an organised way so that that they can then go out of the house and do other things, you know, so they're not having to stay home and colour coordinate their books or, uh, you know, I'm not talking about that, uh, the home edit type perfect organising. That's not what I help people do. I can, but it it seems like that there's probably other things uh, outside of their front door that they can be getting organised to do. But if we can set up some good systems uh, and make their life simpler and more fun outside of their front door is what my business is all about. I was helping a young mum yesterday. They've got number two baby on the way in in just a couple of weeks and I was helping her in her garage going through some toys that they rotate through the house and also just other general things in um, in the garage. But she had called me because... Uh, she and her husband tried to do it about two weeks ago, got through about two bags of things, open it, he apparently opened it up, closed it back up again and put it back on the shelf. And she's going, well, you know, that's not very helpful. What is it? And do we need it? And apparently they had this big growl and they called me. So I'm happy that I can go in there, help them get the job done and save their relationship and their um their time for other things rather than squabbling about what they're keeping in their garage. 
I, you know, I really love that because obviously that's what dietless living is all about, not doing the dieting so you can focus on the living part and you're the same. You're doing let's get the clutter out of the way so you can focus on living. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Julie, for coming on the show today and sharing your your greatest obstacles that you've had, had to overcome, how you've done it, and giving those three great tips. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And thank you to everyone who joined us today. It is always really so hard to say goodbye. So please make sure you subscribe to the channel, give us a little like, some encouragement, and do please leave us a comment if something's resonated with you today, if something that Julie shared or I've shared has been helpful to you. We do love to know about that. And thanks for watching, and we will see you on the next show. And in the meantime, here's to your health and happiness so you can love what you create. Bye for now.